the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today we're going to divert a little bit from the last few weeks of looking at uh, figures from the Old Testament, uh, Moses and Samuel and Jonah, and uh, look at the way that God raises up prophets um, in the New Testament, although Anna and, and Simeon, although they're in the New Testament, obviously were sort of Old Testament characters to an extent, right? Because they're old. The Holy Spirit told Simeon that he was going to see the Messiah, the Christ, uh, before he died. Um, and and so obviously um, this message was given sort of before Jesus, right? So um, while they're not quite Old Testament characters, we'll, we'll give it a pass a little bit and, and look at look at them and and the ways that we too can emulate and live into being uh, prophetic witnesses for for God and and I love this passage right? this is this is a great passage um, for a variety of reasons and the first is that it, it demonstrates the holiness of Mary and Joseph that not a big surprise that they're holy people, right? That God chose Mary, um, who was betrothed to Joseph, to be the God-bearer. But nonetheless, um, it's reinforced here that they're holy. Um, They go to the temple to fulfill the law of Moses, to offer the appointed sacrifices, as well as to... um, for, for both the purification of Mary as, as well as for the um, presentation of Jesus as the firstborn son. And so they take with them the offering of two turtle doves or two pigeons. And this is the required sacrifice if you are poor. Right? If, you, if you are wealthy, you take a lamb, um, but you're poor so you can offer a pigeon. That's the sort of the condition that's given. And and so we see from the beginning, not that we don't know this already from the humble birth of Jesus, that um, as he's placed in a feeding trough upon his birth, um, that that he was not born in a palace, not born into royalty, but, but born in humble beginnings, even if he was descendant of David, the king. Uh, but it's but again it's reinforced here as well. These were not rich people. Uh, these were working class people, right? Joseph the carpenter, Joseph the builder. Um, they and in that day, really, there's you know we we, we sort of project our own uh, middle class society on them, but there's there's really. Um, poor and rich, right? There's there's those who have much and those who have little, especially uh, living in an oppressed state under Roman authority. And Joseph and Mary are poor. And Jesus is poor. And he comes to us in this way. But even though poor, they're holy and righteous, and live according to the law, and go to the temple 40 days after the birth in order to offer these sacrifices 
to God. And we, and we see quickly, as Jesus is going up um, with Mary and Joseph, that uh, Simeon, who was, who was a devout and righteous and waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he had not seen death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple. So the Holy Spirit led Simeon to the temple. And this is the temple complex, not like the temple, um, the actual Holy of Holies or the, the, the place where the sacrifices were offered. Not even in, in the part of the temple where men could worship, but sort of in the outer courts um, because Mary's there as well. And uh, the Holy Spirit leads him there. And, and he begins to prophesy over over Jesus. And, and this is an amazing thing to begin with because it, it continues this, this theme in Luke's gospel that, that Luke continues to present that God is at work, that the Holy Spirit is moving. If we look at the Old Testament, uh, the Spirit of God falls upon people like Samuel, people like Moses, people like Joshua, people like Gideon, here and there, all through the Old Testament. Um, next week, we'll look at Elijah and Elisha. Um, the, the Holy Spirit comes in rare occasions upon the peop people that God has selected to bring forth his word, to bring forth his promise, that the people don't have to gaze upon God in fear. The word of God is delivered uh, through prophets and through appointed people who God's spirit rests. But as Jesus uh, is coming into the world, as God is preparing Israel for the coming of the Messiah, the Holy Spirit begins falling on more and more people. So um, we, we've already heard about Zechariah. Um, earlier in, in Luke's gospel, and Elizabeth, and John the Baptist. And, and now we hear about Simeon and Anna, um, and and how the God's Spirit is at work. Um, and God's Spirit is probably at work in more than just these people. But, but the fact that, generally speaking, God's Spirit shows up only once every couple hundred years on one person, um, the fact that it's showing up on even in Luke's gospel, on five different people um, in a matter of, of a year is amazing, right? And so the Holy Spirit is resting on Simeon, and he takes Jesus, um, and he says, Lord, now you can let me depart in peace, because I've seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And then Simeon blessed Mary and Joseph. And um, it says his mother and father were, were amazed at the words. And they're not the only ones, right? We should all be amazed at the words. We're not as amazed now looking back because um, we know that, that Jesus came for the world. But for the people of Israel, the Messiah, the Christ, was coming for Israel. 
coming to redeem them from Roman oppression or foreign oppression or whatever that oppression was going to be, coming to reestablish and reinforce and raise them up as a mighty nation, coming to bless them um, mightily. And, and it's sort of their, their freedom, their prosperity, their uh, independence that the Messiah was, was hoped for. Right, this this hope, this um, desire for the Messiah was was one not entirely unlinked from nationalism, as well as holiness and righteousness in God. And Simeon says what we know now, and from the Pentecost and the way that that we've lived into Christ, that that indeed. He's going to be a light to the, the, the nations, a light to the Gentiles. He's coming to set all humanity free. Um, and, it's, and it's coming not in a way that's easy, right? Because afterwards he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. For a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce your own so soul also, he says to Mary, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So here we have the prediction really of the crucifixion already from the beginning, or at least sort of the foreshadowing of the great suffering that's to come. That Jesus has come to, to be the hope of Israel, to be the hope really of the whole world. But but coming, bringing forth the kingdom of God into the world um, up against the kingdom of the world and up against the kingdom of Rome is not going to be something that's easy. It's not going to be something that comes without cost. It's not going to be something that just is, is all roses and, and parades and joy, right? It's, it's pain. It's suffering. It's devastation. It's it's as Jesus says, you know, I didn't come to divide houses, but the reality is, um, in order for peace to reign, the 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 truth is that that there's going to be there's going to be suffering. There's going to be division. Um, I didn't come to bring a sword, but just because I didn't come to bring peace with a sword doesn't mean that houses won't be divided um, based on who I am. And, and so here we have in Simeon this great declaration that we just sung, right, as the sequence hymn, Lord, you now have set your servant free. That we sing um, before uh, at the end of Compline every night. Um, that's that's a great, powerful canticle and song of of promise of who God is, who Jesus is. That God gave Jesus to the world to bring forth life to the world, to bring forth hope, to bring forth healing, to bring forth peace, but not without a cost. 
not without suffering. And then we have Anna, which, as Luke keeps doing um, all through his gospel, every time there's something that a man does, there's sort of a woman there too, right? Luke is really um, always demonstrating the fact that the gospel has come to the whole world, to men, to women, that in Christ there is no male or female, slave or free, Gentile or Jew, that all are one in Christ, that there's this new, um, this new reality that, that we have equality to God, uh, not based on who we are, not based on our birthright, not based on our gender, but on Jesus. And because of Jesus, we can know God. And for Anna, it's the Holy Spirit too, right? Not just because of, of um, who we are in gender or birthright, but because the Holy Spirit rests on us that, that, that comes through God from Jesus, right? And so <clears throat> this is sort of the precursor of that Holy Spirit where Anna has this too. She's another faithful person um, who's basically just at the temple all the time fasting and praying day and night. She's been a widow since she was married. She was married for about seven years. So, you know, if she got married, like when Mary's married as, um, you know, a young teenager, 13, 14, 15, somewhere in that, that range. And now she's about 87, 84. Um, she's been a widow a long time, you know, 60 plus years. That, and she just spends that time at the temple day by day, fasting, praying, seeking God. And she began to give thanks to God and speak about Jesus to all who were there in the temple who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Just began praising God and pointing to Jesus and telling anybody who would listen who it was. There's, here's the Messiah. Here's the salvation. Here's the redemption that you're waiting for. Um, and it's it is a testimony to the way that God works in and through individuals and through people, and 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 so now we we're nearly two chapters into Luke's gospel, two full chapters. There's a little bit of um, in the following chapters of when Jesus goes up with his family to um, the Passover when he's like twelve or so, and, and he's up there, right? And he comes back and he grows in the Lord. But really, we're, so we're two chapters in, and Luke has introduced a variety of characters who you should identify, the reader should identify with somebody, right? Somebody. You've got Zechariah the priest and Elizabeth, the woman who's who's been waiting for a child her whole life, but she's been barren and and she's craving, she's longing for for this gift. And then they have a child, John the Baptist. And so then we have John the Baptist. We have Mary, who the angel Gabriel comes to, and Mary who goes to Elizabeth, and and there's a whole different relationship as you have this this older woman and this young girl who, who bond. 
in this common plight of, of pregnancy and, and joy, but sort of the, the drama that comes with both of their pregnancies, right? And, and the way that God is, is mixed into that. And you have Joseph, who's believed Mary and trusts in her and still takes her as his wife and makes the journey to Bethlehem um, in order to be counted in the census. And then while they're there, Jesus is born poor, in a stable, laid in a manger. And angels appear to shepherds. And, and shepherds who certainly are not um, the, the rich class, right? They're, they're the lower, lower class. Um, but God chooses to reveal to shepherds this new thing that's, that's coming as angels appear to them. And they go and see the sign of a babe wrapped in cloths lying in a manger. And it is so. And they rejoice, glorify, and tell everybody they meet what they have seen. And then we have this scene, right? This scene of Simeon and Anna, two older people. Shepherds are going to be a variety of ages, but a lot of them are going to be younger people, the community. So you're identifying with somebody as you read this. And in that, what Luke is saying is, you have a part to play in this story. You have a part to play in this kingdom. This, this kingdom message is not about priests. It's not about the hierarchy. It's not about kings. It's not about the rich. It's about you, young girls, old men and women, priests, holy holy working class men, shepherds, you can be a part of this. You can be a part of this. You are a part of this. And moreover, you're a part of this in a variety of ways, right? You don't, some of you may be ones who, who God lays and rests the spirit on and you declare out loud with, with great eloquence the glory of who Jesus is. You can pray for people with great eloquence. You can, you can preach and proclaim the glory of Jesus coming into the world with great eloquence. You can, you know, you can be Zechariah, really, or Simeon as, as one who, who comes with the Spirit upon him to declare who he is. You can be Anna fasting, praying, quiet, meditative, seeking God with your whole heart. Not really, not really out there, but faithful, encouraging, hopeful, loving kind, gracious, 
and it goes true with with the work that we do in the community you can be out on the front lines handing out food from neighbors to neighbors right we can be right there talking with people as they come through the line or you can be back in the kitchen preparing the bags you can be praying you can be giving writing the check being generous. There's a variety of ways in how we can be involved, and that's the glory. And and the long and short of it is, and I'll, again, I'll, I say this a little bit hesitantly, but don't take it the wrong way. It's probably not always going to be the same. There's people that say to me sometimes, my gift is X. My gift is teaching. My gift is hospitality. My gift is this. My gift... And that's probably true. That might be true. But it doesn't excuse you necessarily from when God calls you through the Spirit to something new, something different. We're called to be obedient. That's part of what it is to be a prophet. And I think that's one of these words that we need to be prepared to take on ourselves. A little bit as just ones who are open to what God is doing in our life, ones who are open to the Spirit. It doesn't mean we dress in funny clothes and stand on street corners and proclaim the world is coming to an end, repent, end is near. Being a prophet is proclaiming the Word of God in word and deed, It's declaring things like racism is a sin, a sin that's destroying our world. That's being a prophet. Or Jesus is here for all people. That the Holy Spirit can fill you and bless you and empower you even though you don't have a seminary education because your heart is open to the glory of God. That's being a prophet. There's all sorts of ways that we are prophetic in the world around us through love and blessing and grace and joy and hope. And as my hope that that we remain open, that you remain open, that you seek the ways that God is working in you and through you to empower you, to bless you, to declare mightily that the salvation of the world has come, which doesn't mean there is no suffering because there is suffering even in the midst of salvation, because of sin, because of death, because of sickness. But there's hope, and there's promise, and there's light in Christ. Let's pray. Come, Lord Jesus, pour out your Spirit upon us. Lord, I pray for the prophets of the church, 
the prophets who speak your word, declare your light, demonstrate your love. May you empower them, embolden them, and bless them day by day. Increase in them your great love in Jesus' name. Amen.